Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup episode 102 for the week ending Monday, May 15th, 2017. Now this is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andy Lemasu. I am extremely glad you could join us and I'm really pleased to be back after a fairly long hiatus, a much needed rest and because... We've been away so long, we have a jam-packed show for you that you don't want to miss. Happily, I'm not on the mic alone for the re-entry episode. <laughs> Joining me on the show is Musa Kalenga. Welcome, mate. Welcome back. What do you mean, welcome, mate? I've been here before. Thank you very much. <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good to be here. Good to join you guys, and hopefully we can have an awesome show. Um, you're pretty much family at this point. In fact... Uh, I have some amazing news for our listeners. If you're a regular listener to the show, Musa, of course, needs no introduction. Um, but if you're not already familiar with his impressive exploits in digital marketing uh, and entrepreneurship, well, uh, you just stop this podcast right here and go check out episode 101 and you will get an intimate glimpse at the man that is Musa Kalenga, the man I've come to know and respect. Uh, but what the, the real news is... Um, Musa is set to become a regular guest co-host on the show. Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally, we've been trying to get this right for a while, so I'm glad our energies are going to combine. I'm super excited to see what's going to happen, eh? One of those. One of those. But we still do that in the clubs. The kids do that. No, they don't. That's a hashtag not lit. Hashtag not lit. Okay, so you can tell when the last time I was even near a club was. That said, welcome. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this at least every fortnight or so or really as as often as we can you know you can fit us into your schedule let's be honest look at you fit you into my schedule of course i'll fit you into my schedule but yeah as often as possible but um yeah let's make it as regular as possible i think we uh got a good uh, good thing going as i said let's make magic for sure and i mean this is us listening to our uh, to our listeners because your you know episodes that you feature intend to have a really great response uh, you have a candor to you you know you and i bounce really well and and yeah people just seem to learn a lot from you even with the fireside chat you did you and i um so i'm really glad that you can have more of this guy more access to the zambian maestro <laughs> that is musa but yeah so listen um i've been away like you've said um for a country tour of southeast asia that was awesome uh, but you were doing something a little more serious than, than, than relaxing in four Asian countries. You actually attended the World Economic Forum on Africa. Yeah, I was, I was down in Durban, which was lots of fun. A um, lot of discussions, um, primarily themed around this concept of inclusion. So there's a lot of... Uh, debate and conversation around what that means across different uh, sectors of society, across different industries. I was also very fortunate to have been invited to, to a really great panel, um, essentially for PwC. They were launching the Digital IQ study. Um, great findings, quite actually scary and frightening how far behind country like South Africa is coming when it comes to Digital IQ and their CEOs. So that was interesting as well. So great week, um, lots of conversations. Um, they tend to be talk shops, so I think it's it's important for you to go there with, uh, with a view of what you want to get out of there. But um, what is good is that I think people are opening up now around technology and what can be done. So encouraging from that perspective. Yeah, I thought it would give you a chance to sort of uh, ingest everything you experienced there, all the people you met, uh, certainly rubbing shoulders with the world's elite, uh, both in terms of you know, in terms of uh, government leaders as well as corporate leaders, and the, some of the themes you've already touched on are themes that we'd like to discuss on the show. But uh, I know you, you're a thinker, and you probably need the time to go, you know, figure it out, and we'll touch on that some other time. If I forget, hold me accountable, listeners. Uh, uh, we definitely want to uh, turn uh, some of what's talked about at these, you know, lofty platforms into what's it looks like at grassroots level and we'd love to do that on the show but we'll get to that so um we're all caught up and before we carry on let's do this this episode of the african tech roundup is brought to you by europe's preeminent african tech event that's the afrobytes tech conference yes folks it's going down in paris on june 8th and 9th 2017 and we're really honored to be one of their partners this year i'll be speaking alongside a killer list of individuals like rebecca Enonchong of apps tech chris foyalan of Mall of Africa, Marsha Wolf of Lifty Inc., Defo Mohapi of iAfrican, Ashley Lewis of Ongeza Fund, Chidi Opala of Atlas Mara, Dare Okoju of MFS Africa, and so many more. Now, the event will be hosted at Medev, which is the largest entrepreneur network in France. 
definitely giving a nod to what uh, the founders of this event, uh, Amin Yusuf and Hawea Mohammed, are doing uh, to to represent the continent out in in Europe. Uh, Meta, of course, represents over seven hundred and fifty thousand companies of every size and across industry and commerce and services in France. So this is no joke. We mean it when we say this is a premier, the premier event uh, uh, on African tech in Europe. Uh, only the best awaits you at Afrobytes Conference 2017. So head over to afrobytes.com to check out the full speaker list. I will be hosting a panel, doing a ton of interviews. I look forward to meeting many of you there. Uh, check out the promo video and more importantly, book your seat to the event. Uh, I believe you've just missed the early bird special they had on offer, but certainly still worth every dime to, to make sure you're booking your seat there. That's afrobytes.com. Can't wait to see you in Paris. And so with all that said, let's get straight into this week's news. Musa, we have a lot to get to because lots has happened since we last published an episode. Uh, we've narrowed it down to some of the most important stuff. Now, uh, in terms of like the, the broader trends that are impacting our continent. So without further ado, first up, it's been a huge few weeks for the continent's ed tech t- uh, scene, um, aka e-learning. Uh, most notable, of course, is the news that South African ed tech firm Get Smarter, based in Cape Town, is set to be bought by the NASDAQ-listed technology education company 2U for nothing less than a cool 103 million US dollars in an all-cash deal. Now, I love the transparency in terms of the financial details of this deal. What's not to love, Musa? Absolutely. With those kind of numbers, with an earn-out payment of up to 20 million in cash, subject to them staying and achieving some financial milestones, I think it's a great deal. I think if you look at EdTech broadly, um, you know, there's lots of people trying to solve for this problem, and it's really encouraging that uh, this kind of transaction is happening with, uh, with a company right here in Africa. So that's a great thing. I mean, these guys create courses uh, for, for leading universities, and I love that a great chunk of their revenue was made right here uh, on the African continent, something like $17 million U.S. dollars in 2016, uh, generated by students enrolled with South African universities, uh, I think UCT definitely being one of them. Uh, really excited, exciting to see not just a good idea, but a good idea that has serious commercial potential and evidenced by, you know, buy-in from, from a really large entity abroad. Yeah, and also, you know, if you go down to the business of its two brothers, Sam and Rob Paddock, I think that's uh, also something that is uh, is notable. Family business is never easy. Um, and I was actually just on his blog checking out one of the entries, and he, he writes, Today Get Smarter becomes a global company, and today I am so proud. Proud of the 300-plus talented individuals who make the Get Smarter team that come before us. So they've achieved a significant milestone, and I think uh, we need to take our hats off and in hope that we can get more of these kind of stories. I think EdTech is something that's important to not only our continent, um, but as you know, I'm all about solving human problems. Indeed he do. Shout out to Tommy Davies, the president of the African Business Angels Network. Why? He gets mentioned often on the show because he's almost a sage at this point, uh, or uh, a soothsayer at this point, <laughs> as far as tech is concerned. I mean, he definitely said EdTech is, is, a, is a trend to watch. Get Smarter, of course, having served uh, reportedly 50,000 students since inception, uh, completion rates averaging 88% for their courses. That's incredible. I mean, it's a it's a multi, not even a multi billion dollar industry we're talking about in terms of global higher education. Uh, it, you know, some estimated to be in the trillions. Uh, definitely making sure they have a share of that market. Uh, to you, found this irresistible. Well done. Get smarter for sure. And then, of course, staying with big e learning news, uh, telecom subsidiary BCX, which recently lost their. Um, their leader, their their longtime CEO, uh, founder and CEO um, uh, of late. However, nonetheless, um, they don't seem to have uh, missed a step. They've partnered with We Think Code in a deal that will see them shell out nearly $4.5 million. Yeah, that is a lot of money because I think um, the the task they're trying to solve for in creating coders for the next generation of uh, of techies is quite important. But I think it's also important to know that the, the the kind of the agreement also follows an internship position for all of the forty We Think Code graduates. Um, they'll be working in the BCX and the telecom group of companies within the next three years, which I think is great. So they're investing, yes, in getting the pipeline bigger, but it's fantastic that they're giving them a place to work as well. Um, and we also know that uh, We Think Code does not uh, is not an old enterprise. It only launched in two thousand and fifteen. Um, so it started opening doors for students that are 17 to 35 the following year, 2016. Um, and it's trying to deal with a really, really chronic skill shortage. And they're trying to develop 100,000 coders um, in Africa over the next 10 years, which seems like a small number, but I think it's a good place to start. Yeah. 
Fair enough, you know, and I mean, again, we're talking entry-level coders. I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know how industry-ready um, the type of people this, you know, this program is putting out into the market are. Um, it would be interesting to hear from you, any of our listeners who've interacted with, uh, you know, perhaps an alumnus of this program, or maybe you, you're in the program yourself. Perhaps the folks at We Think Code might uh, reach out to us to let us know exactly what sort of skills um, they're empowering people with and how difficult, really. And perhaps we're underestimating how difficult it is to actually turn, uh, a, you know, a clever, a clever young, you know, 17 to 35 year old into a decent coder the their program as far as i know has been totally oversubscribed i hear something like forty thousand south african students applied for the program yet only 200 were accepted and so uh big up to bcx to you know for for giving them the money to enlarge the program and hopefully you know train a lot more people yeah and i think there's a lot of questions you know to be asked there as well as you've said um so you know if we've got forty thousand students that are applying you know it would be interesting to see um kind of what the what the what the application criteria is and if those are filters that um we can open it up so that more people can get accepted would that help us to get that number up but then secondly i think it's uh, it's responsible that they've been able to open it up to provide um kind of on the job training you know as far as telecom and the group of companies is concerned but once again It'll be great to see and speak to someone and or interact with some of these coders that have gone through the process and have eventually landed a job um, so that we can test some of these uh, these theories and ideas that we have. So it'll be great to great to chat to some of them. And if, if there are any listeners that have any exposure or experience, please get in touch. Sheezy. Now, uh, to Kenya Next, where Safaricom CEO Bob Collymore has revealed that his company may well be instructed uh, to separate M-Pesa from its telecoms business. If the Kenyan regulator gets back to them with a... Hey, this report we're looking through right now is telling us you guys are a little too dominant for our liking. So um, what we do know is, uh, you know, there, there have been some reports, you know, that have come to the fore indicating that Safaricom might be enjoying an anti-competitive position. And this is causing volatility in their share price, understandably. Um, but I think the Kenyan opposition lawmaker, Jokoyo Midiwa, um, has actually been proposing the, the law to introduce kind of the split because I think from the communication authority, they found that Safaricom is a dominant player and they're experiencing a dominant position in some, the mobile money uh, communication sector. So um, as, opposed to, uh, as opposed to them continuing with this kind of monopoly, they're proposing that they break the company up um, and introduce more competition, which ultimately we know that competition is good for the consumer. Um, and I think uh, M-Pesa through, through Safaricom has enjoyed an interesting position for a long time. Um, the question is whether kind of this 40% owned by Newbury business um, will be able to do this successfully and what it is that they'll be able to do. And I think further on we chat about the, the car that they're launching and what that means exactly for their business. In fact, let's talk about that right now. That's interesting because, um, look, I mean, we're talking about a company that reported a 27% increase in, in full year profits and mobile data also doing quite well. So it begs the question, why would Safaricom, at least this is word on the street, so this is hearsay at this point, um, but word is that Safaricom might be looking to uh you know to launch a card you know to i don't know consolidate its position bring people on board uh, you know in a more you know traditional fashion onto banking what do you think yeah it's crazy because i mean you'd think that they've achieved something that every bank or every financial institution is trying to achieve is that this kind of uh, mobile transaction or mobile money world is some something that people are still trying to crack They've gotten it right, and now they're going also backwards to kind of introduce a card. Um, so for me, at first glance, it doesn't seem logical. But as you said, maybe they're creating a gateway. Maybe they're opening it up um, as far as the first point of entry into formalized banking. Um, and the only way to do that potentially is getting a card and figuring out if you can use that card to convert um, M-Pesa users into into full, uh, full, full stack banking users. So that's the only thing that I think could be, but uh, strange. And as you said, word on the street, so we can wait and see. Waiting with bated breath. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, Econet's subsidiary in Zimbabwe, Stewart Bank, uh, you know, come into that space. Well, Econet in, in Zimbabwe, of course, with their very, very popular, very successful mobile money service, their EcoCash, uh, which plays very nicely with their now bank, uh, which is Stewart Bank. And could this be the, the, the makings of, could, could this in fact even be Safaricom? positioning to create a bank off the back of sort of sensing that <laughs> the Kenyan government goes, actually, guys, you know, M-Pesa over there, telecoms over here, in which case they'll be ready to do it, in which case they'll be going head to head with all the incumbents pretty soon. 
Stranger things have happened, so I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but I do think that it is going to be an important thing for them to, to, to figure out. They've had so many um, regulatory battles over the last couple of uh, years. So it would make sense for them to clean up the blind between uh, telecoms communication and banking. And this might just, you know, might do the trick. And of course, South Africa is pr- proves, uh, you know, uh, I mean, there were people, you know, two, three years ago who said plastic would be dead by now. And I think as a market, South Africa proves that plastic still has a place in the, the fin- you know, financial industry and its ecosystem and, and how, you know, values is derived. And, and perhaps they, they feel that perhaps as, as people become more and more affluent or as even as technology increases, plastic might stick around. Yeah, it might. I think uh, that's, a, that's a fair assumption. Um, I think the consumer base is still very much uh, plastic users as far as their trust. Um, and I think the unbanked by, by, a, by a long mile still believe in having something physical. Hence why even banking infrastructure as far as kind of brick and mortar uh, transactions and interfaces is not going to go anywhere. So there's merit, I think, in that. Fair enough. Now, how's this for a laugh? The South African Broadcasting Corporation, the SABC, now their current CEO, James Akuma, has recently presented his corporate plan uh, for the embattled public broadcaster to Parliament. Now, if you are familiar with uh, anything to do with the SABC, uh, you'll know that they're very embattled at the moment. They're South Africa's public broadcaster, and, and, and hence why their CEO has to present you know, his ideas for how to keep them alive in Parliament. At this point, it's not even how to keep them alive. It's how to you know, keep them on life support. Uh, and so uh, he suggested something ridiculous, which is what made, you know, which is why we're citing it in the first place, because there's so many ridiculous stories about the SABC that surface. If you are based in South Africa, you're probably just tired of hearing about the SABC. But they, they made it into into our lineup this week because he's suggesting that to to help the SABC basically change their fortunes, they're losing revenues, obviously fewer people watching television, paying their TV licenses. Hey, how's this for an idea? Uh, what about devices like PCs, cell phones, and tablets? Hey, I mean, people are using those to, to view the SABC, right? So please, let's, char- let's, let's uh, start um, insisting that they have TV licenses too. Desperate much? Dude, this is the most ridiculous thing I've seen in a long time. I mean, how can you take a notion like that and try and actually implement that when you haven't even gotten the basic tenet of giving people content right? I mean, SABC has been been one of those channels that has been embattled by trying to put together the right content in terms of value propositions to make people keep coming back to them. The second thing is there's all these other channels that have come up of late around Mzansi Magic, etc., etc. I know DSTV have been boosting their kind of international or the Pan-African offering. So there's lots of other players now that are creating the right content. But I think your standpoint to try and say, because you're viewing content on all, all these other uh, devices like your PC or cell phone and your tablet, I now need to tax you for that, even though I'm not even giving you the great content. I think it's ridiculous. And if the sad truth is that, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a stupid argument, even from the standpoint of uh, because you're not creating great content, you're not even uh, a choice I'm making it online exactly. so what gives you the right like you know why would i now be willing to part with money and they're not even collecting that well on television let alone trying to get it on mobile phones i find it i find it absolutely mind-boggling but um you know stranger things have happened at the sabc <laughs> and in in, fa- <laughs> in fairness though <laughs> what did you say cloudy with a chance of rain <laughs> okay that's an inside joke if you if you Claudi Motsaneng is the former CEO and he's had so many issues and that was an inside joke. But um, no, but certainly, look, I I think it's, I I have a heart for the sort of socialist uh, view that we need a public broadcaster. Oh, that's so sweet. A socialist in there. (laughs) But yeah, and, uh, but it's, it's really sad to see um, that, you know, in a, in a time when, you know, you need to be making the argument for public broadcasting by being excellent and leading from the front. Um, you certainly can't make that argument by by basically not delivering on your mandate well enough and then making ludicrous uh, uh, suggestions that clearly show you, you're out of touch with the realities of the digital world. Yeah, I'm a capitalist, a capitalist with a conscience. So I say create the value, make sure that people buy into the value. And then you'll have the right to charge the fees that you want to charge. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, you know, for me in this modern day and age when people have got so many options um, and you're trying to charge fees based on a non-existent value proposition, that for me is really scary because I think organizations, 
nations the size of SABC essentially believe their hubris to the extent that they think they, you know, they'll never be ex- extinct. They believe that there'll be no challenger, um, and therefore, I think at some, you know, really bizarre level, they they actually think believe and think and believe that by charging these fees, they'll be able to rescue their business. Um, and the capitalist in me says, absolutely not. Create a great value proposition, then you can charge whatever it is that the market will accept. But this, for me, is uh, as I said, nonsensical. And this could go the way uh, many things, oh, well, the e-tolls have gone in South Africa where, um, you know, people just refuse to pay. So you could change the law all you want, make it, you know, legislate and everything. People just, just won't pay. Uh, there's a clear lack of understanding in how some of these things work, which also speaks to another, uh, you know, p- person in, in civil service in South Africa that, that trended in, in the last few weeks. South Africa's state security minister, David Matlob, was suggesting that uh, you know, social media be regulated in order to quote counter false narratives uh, and and sort of you know solve the fake news problems again. Um, with laws you know being proposed like the cyber crimes and cyber security bill there to try and protect us, clearly you're not even speaking to your your contemporaries in the justice department. I, I find this disturbing from the standpoint that we've got lawmakers um, not just in South Africa but often in other parts of Africa and 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 with with few exceptions I have to mention with few exceptions who don't seem to have an understanding of what's required in terms of keeping up with with the digital changes that are impacting our society. Completely agree. I mean, if I had him in the room, I'd say, so Mr. Matlobo or Minister Matlobo, kindly tell us how this is going to happen, right? Let's be very pragmatic and practical about regulating um, false narratives. Um, especially online, you either, you, you're going to be one of two extremes. You're either going to completely turn off social media, which I don't think is, is the right thing to do for a democratic, uh, democratic country, um, or you're going to try and regulate, which is a very, very slippery slope, because in regulating, um, you're actually doing the opposite of allowing people freedom of speech. You're saying you're going to be guiding and you're going to be moderating these discussions. And even so, the root cause is not it doesn't uh, result in regulation. The root cause is understanding how is it that you increase the levels of journalistic excellence? How do you increase the levels of uh, understanding of sources of information and give them levels of accreditation that provide people a great uh, a newsworthy source? So I think the root cause analysis doesn't always lead down to, to, to regulation. I think it's lazy and I think it's not considered. But uh, um, fake news will be there either which way. I I think consumers get smarter about what they what they're going to be onboarding and, and accepting as as fake or not. I mean, the activists also lobbying the notion that if uh, African governments aren't responsible in ensuring that they don't cut off access to the internet or indeed access to social media, that um, there be laws put in place switching off countries. And look again. I f- there's laziness on both sides of the spectrum. I feel there's like lawmakers who try to who want to keep us safe and feel on the basis of that mandate they'll do anything you know possible, and oftentimes they don't even understand what's at play. Then you've got people who are responding very in a re- very reactionary um, way to legitimate issues like you know the right to access the internet and and how governments shouldn't be shutting it off willy nilly. But you can't answer that question by sort of switching off an entire country. And anyway, so. Yo, let's just say um, we hope sanity prevails. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's kind of exhausting, right? Like, let's let's just hope that people do the right thing. And let's and let's move on. Let's talk about something that I'm really really excited about. Um, scientists having found a way to remove the HIV virus from a mouse using CRISPR hash CRISPR forward slash Cas9 tech. A red think pieces on the thing and i've actually been to the journal where these discoveries were outlaid i barely understood a thing what i did understand though is that there's a mouse that was hiv positive they were able to grab that mouse's dna and isolate the hiv virus to to prevent it from replicating in the in the mouse's body and they actually got results i'm super excited about that yeah i think uh, once again i mean this is one of those really exciting advances from science perspective that's solving a, a key problem i think from that perspective it's encouraging although they did say that it's still very early stages so human trials are still a ways away because from here it's more mice and then more apes sorry apes sorry mice and then human beings um but definitely definitely something moving in the right direction if you want to check it out go check out um, the journal Molecular Therapy. You'll find uh, those findings left there. It's quite an international group of scientists. I didn't spot any Africans involved in the research, but they probably are. Who's who's to say? Um, uh, But nonetheless, wherever this breakthrough is made, I am happy for the planet period. Yeah, I think it's a good thing all around. Nobody loses, everybody benefits. So I say go (laughs) CRISPR-Cas9. 
and of course, and of course, uh, uh, just barely a week after that malaria vaccine trial was announced, actually two weeks probably at this point. Um, so it's definitely a good week for major, dis- uh, major sort of uh, leaps forward as far as these two very critical diseases. Yeah, medical science. I think it, it's it's important that uh, we continue to kind of surface these stories because I also I wasn't aware of it, but uh, um, the last reference point I generally had to HIV and AIDS is that we we're trying to figure it out, but we haven't actually made uh, any progress. So I think it's good that uh, that that there is a step in the right direction. I also would be interested in seeing how far they are from you know from actual commercialization. I mean, they don't give much detail around that. Um, we do know in africa we've got a crisis we've got you know a number of people affected by hiv aids virus and also the second thing whether this is going to be the kind of solution that ex- that's accessible um to the man on the street because um, often these kind of uh, uh medical interventions are accessible but they'll cost you an arm and a leg so that'll also be an interesting thing to see which is also true for the malaria vaccine how much will it cost okay so right now they're still trying to figure out whether it will be if they can improve its efficacy um also the qu- question is will it be affordable um We've we've faulted at providing things that will basically prevent the illness in the form of medication and mosquito nets. Will we succeed at sort of rolling out a vaccine? Africa, I hope the answer is yes. I hope so too. So we're going to watch that a little bit closely. But if anybody has uh, better knowledge, so if we've got any medical journalists out there or scientists, I think get in touch. Give us a little bit of understanding. I can see them shaking their heads now going, these guys, these guys. Listen, listen. <laughs> CRISPR Cas9, I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, all we're saying is the world's the world's that much better because of this discovery. That's all. Yeah. So please forgive us in advance. But yeah, get in touch and correct us should you need to do that. Uh, and they will though. <laughs> That's okay too. You know the internet. And so uh, next up, MTN has shut down its video streaming service, MTN View. No tears <laughs> lost there. Um, what they have done in in doing so is promise that they will make future media plays whenever. Don't worry, we're not holding our breath. Um, what's interesting to me more than that is that there's a, a streaming video on demand service that's been launched by the very people that MTN had partnered to make view. They are set to launch in South Africa. They're launching something called DEOD, uh, a new service. So we'll see whether they'll succeed where their partnership with MTN failed. Um, and then a biggie coming to, uh, North Africa and the Middle East already having launched there uh, and coming and planning launches for the rest of the continent. iFlix. Now we, we spoke about this before we went on break. Um, definitely some rumbles I've picked up in, in sort of speaking to people in the space about their entry because they've done quite many interesting things in the Asian market. And I actually observed while I was out there. I wonder what the approach is going to be for the Africa market. I mean, the importance of um, of catalog and, and content is going to be key. I think we saw that with uh, Oroko Nigeria. So um, I'm quite interested to see what uh, what their entry strategy is going to be. And uh, what, are the, what are the rumblings that you've been hearing? Look, they did. They've done a great job in Asia. They've, like you say, it's it's about ma- market entry. It's about this ability to enthuse the audience, which I feel like uh, Netflix hasn't quite been able to do at the low end of the of the uh, of the pyramid in the local market look we have to be fair um in 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 stating that in in terms of high-end video on demand um dstv uh, when they and they're offering showmax are still the ones to beat not least because they've got all this the, the massive uh, you know licensing potential that they've they've had for years we're seeing sort of quest snapping at their heels signing big deals with the likes of espn and cnn that kind of thing but for the stuff that the most valuable viewers want, um, it certainly does seem that DSTV in their sort of uh, cable offerings as well as their video on demand services are winning the day, at, at least for now. Netflix and their original content, on the other hand, Iroko with their original African content, on the other hand. So the question is, where is iFlix going to come in and they're potentially going to cause a few hassles for everybody yeah. and there's a little uncertainty in every print. So that's kind of what I've, I've gauged. And obviously the other kind of key factor, whether they're going to succeed or not is their, is their price point. Um, so coming into a market um, like the African market, I think uh, being on, I've just gone onto their site quickly. So they got, you know, flash, Mr. Robot, the good wife, house of lies, those kind of, um, uh, that kind of content is typically for a more affluent consumer, um, typically a more travel consumer. So an entry strategy may be, price may not be such an issue, but once you start playing in the kind of Iroko space where you're trying to uh, create more homegrown content, um, I wonder whether they'll be able to adjust and pivot their business model enough um, or whether they're going to have the, the balls to come in guns blazing and try and take a little bit from everybody, as you've said. So 
once again an interesting one to watch but uh, lots of stuff happening in the video demand space um, and hopefully as I said the consumer wins at the end of the day and of course North Africa tell us I mean you've got them uh, they've rolled out in your part of the world right now in your part of the continent please tell us how whether you're enjoying it indeed in the Middle East as well and of course if you're listening to us from a place where the you know iFlex is strong um, in Asia please tell us what it is you love about them and perhaps they might be doing better than say a Netflix or an Amazon Let's talk Nigerian e-commerce news next. Uh, Conga launched their grocery service in Lagos. Okay. <laughs> That's wonderful, Oga. I can now get my stuff delivered to my house, which is fantastic. But they're not first to market with the idea, but I, I'm, I'm betting on them out executing anything that's currently out there. Yeah, they got balance sheet. I think that's different from a lot of the other entrants. And uh, I went on their site and you can buy stuff like a cow's liver. And you can buy a shin and that kind of stuff, which I think is, which I think is clever. Um, also understanding how Nigeria commerce works. I mean, most of it being quite in well 98 probably percent of it being highly informal um and uh, the reality of being in nigeria around logistics of getting to shopping malls and that kind of thing i think it's a it's a it's a much needed solution i think the the trick once again the devil will be in the execution um you know i think I, I don't think you can question the fact that there's a need for this kind of service um the question will be will they be able to do their 24-hour turnaround as they as they promise on their on their website um essentially allowing them to try and get from a position where someone has ordered and getting their stuff within a day well tell us nigeria because that's an interesting thing to me how long are you willing to wait for your liver <laughs> not long i'm pretty sure if you're hungry you're hungry right um but uh they do have perishable foods and they have non-perishable foods and i think there'll be a difference from the different product types but uh once again i mean i think uh, 24 hours is a, is, a, is a fair time but for food you know, is that, you know, do people plan ahead enough to say I'm going to need my groceries tomorrow or is it more of an impulse purchase? I'm on my way home. I'll stop, you know, at the side of the road and there'll be someone selling vegetables. And like, that's how I get my vegetables. You know, will they be able to shift enough from the consumer behavior? But, you know, we'll wait and see. I've got mates in Nigeria who just reckon like e-commerce in Nigeria is just promises, 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 and very rarely delivering on that promise in as far as like efficiency and that kind of thing. And understandable. I mean, the infrastructure companies like Conga have to, to so o- overcome just to deliver something. It's a logistical nightmare. So um, I think this is a play for the future. I don't see the addressable market in this space anywhere near where it needs to be for this to be viable. I could be wrong. Folks at Conga, you know, set me straight. Maybe like, like mobile penetration of the masses has reached the stage where like people are not only in in a position to have your app on their phone or you know or use your service but like actively willing to do so you know because those are two very different things from a stand from an onboarding standpoint you know do the people you're trying to to service have the tool to, in order to to access your service one two do they have the willingness and if they do have the willingness are you in a position to actually get them to act on that on that willingness? I'm not sure, um, you know, e-commerce in the space, in the grocery space in Nigeria is all the way there yet. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to say. Is that, I mean, is your view e-commerce in general or is it e-commerce in the grocery space? Because I suppose one of the key things to consider that Nigeria has very different to a place like South Africa, as an example, um, is the number of kind of when I say decent, kind of retail, structured retail outlets like malls and strip malls and that kind of thing. So in Nigeria, you have none of that, right? But you still have a growing um, middle class and upper class base of consumers that want specific things and or have certain expectations. Um, so if you look at e-commerce, you know, on other aspects or so retail, luxury goods, et cetera, et cetera, Nigerians are ordering stuff from the U.S. from everywhere. Um, and yes, those don't take 24 hours to deliver, but it still requires a maturity of a consumer. So the question I suppose you're asking, and, and I think I concur having thought about it, is that can you transpose that behavior to a product like a grocery or a product like a, um, like tin food or perishables, and will you have the same uptake? And I, you know, I think the jury's out there. Um, that's going to be an interesting one to watch. I doubt Congo would have done that without doing their market research, but uh, we have to wait and see. And uh, I, Well, I mean, I wish them every success. It's certainly going to be a huge opportunity if they win. And then I think the secondary opportunity is going to be big brands like Unilever, Procter & Gamble, those kind of guys are all trying to figure out e-commerce in their own right. So if they figure out some kind of last mile solution that um, can validate the fact that Nigerians want to order tin beans and uh, a little bit of uh, osu and they'll get it you know, in 24 hours, I think there's a lot to be said about how you can you know, expand that to things like Pampers and, um, and, and dairy and the rest of it. So I think if they get it right, there's a halo benefit for, for, for FMCG as an industry.
and then there's Q, enter JD, Amazon, and the rest of them squash everybody. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Shame, though. <laughs> Hopefully not. But no, no, no. I'm, I'm really rooting for a win in, in, in Nigerian e-commerce. I mean, it's, it's been somewhat disappointing in the last five years to see, you know, this fever pitch excitement in that scene within the Nigerian tech environment go from, you know, fever pitch to the reality setting in that, hey, maybe this is going to take a little longer than we'd hoped to build. Uh, but certainly no momentum lost over at Cars 40 com. They've raised five million dollars worth of investment in a series round, in a series A round from the Frontier Cars Group. Now they are a holding company whose backers include the likes of Balderton Capital, Echo VC, TPG Growth, and NEA. Not bad going at all. Absolutely. Um, cars. Cars forty five dot com. Um, it's selling your car in forty five minutes. That's what they claim. Yeah, that's an extremely, extremely aggressive value proposition. Um, but essentially, they'll evaluate your car, they'll give you an inspection, um, and you sell your car and you get it paid instantly. So I think for entrepreneurs, I mean, we know that the auto industry in in places like Nigeria is extremely haphazard and not necessarily organized. So I think this is an in inverted commas disruptor, adding value. It seems right through the through the value chain. Um, you know, valuations, appointments, all of the all of the stuff happens online, which I think is great. Um, so I think this is a win for the automotive industry. So look, I mean, it's, it's it's a marketplace in a sense where you can get your car evaluated and you can buy other cars. And like you said, you, it points to you know a pain point in in the Nigerian market where there's a lot. A lot of crooked dealing in 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 terms of like trying to get to, to purchase a vehicle and their, their promise is sort of to take the pain out of like uh buying a secondhand vehicle and the, the reason i'm sort of bullish on this idea is because it, it seems to more organically solve an actual pain point that you stop any sort of upwardly mobile nigerian who's in the market for a vehicle or has bought one before they'll more than likely tell you that they've experienced some of the issues that Cars 45 is looking to solve. And and I feel sometimes that um, that's what might have been lacking in some of the, the other e-commerce propositions made uh, to the South African, uh, to the Nigerian market. It's, um, it's a great problem. It's definitely an innovation. It's making our lives easier, but it doesn't speak as eloquently to a pain point that I would love to get fixed now. And that's not to say all the other things won't work because they're, they're not there yet. I just feel like this is a lot, like speaks more directly to like an actual problem. Yeah. And Deloitte uh, recently released a study that says that only 1.5 million new vehicles are registered across the continent. So it's a huge secondhand market opportunity. Um, and I think if they're able to capture that in such a way, as we said, that they can deal, uh, address the pain point, um, I really think they're onto something great here. And then there's spinoffs, right? So at the moment, we know that most of that is, is a cash market, right? So those smart uh, fintech startups and or fintech businesses, um, can you finance those people? You know, potentially opportunity. Again, I'm rooting for a win in e-commerce, in Nigerian e-commerce. So big up to you guys out there. I'm hoping to actually speak to some someone high up at Cars 45 so I can ask all these tough questions to them. And just, you know, I, I do expect, though, that um, to get the kind of VC interest they've received, they must have some significant traction uh, at play. And this is not just, you know, a sort of uh, speculative investment. Um, but, yeah, uh, well done to them. And, of course, uh in the in the light of Rocket Internet's investments in in e-commerce within Nigeria, like really really struggling, and the group in in Europe struggling uh, to justify its existence at this point, um, it's nice to see um, signs of promise in that market. Now to round off, you know, today we'll we'll you'll end off with some international news. Uh, we know that Uber is still feeling the heat. No small thanks to their CEO uh, in the U.S. Yeah, he's he hasn't made his PR department's life easy in the last few months. Uh, certainly, lots of problems at that company we know about. Uh, Facebook and Google, of course, having declared war on fake news. Um, yeah, yawn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's so disingenuous. We're declaring war on fake news. Down with fake news. Yeah, right. Are you going to make sure that happens? <laughs> yeah, whatever. And... Um, yeah, well, yeah, anyway. Um, but it's it's Airbnb that sort of caught my attention in terms of their plans for the continent. Now, they plan, and this is straight from, you know, the CEO's mouth. He spoke to the folks over at dailymaverick.co.za. Um, he was in the country recently expounding on uh, the company's plans for Africa. And I have to say, there's that world domination-esque vibe to some of the things he was saying. I mean, 
They plan to double the growth of their customers on the continent, um, double their customer base from 765,000. Who knew they were already that big to like 1.5 million uh, in, you know, in the next 12 months. That is craziness. I wonder what the folks at Hotel NG um, would make of that kind of uh, stuff. What, what, what do you make of uh, this shared economy vibe sort of sweep, sweeping the continent, uh, being led very easily by you know the silicon valley dark horses yeah those numbers are huge i didn't realize it was that big but uh i think the shared economy once again as long as the, the value gets passed on and created for the consumer so it's not a bad thing um but i do think that a shared economy in emerging markets versus shared economy in emerged markets um may be a slightly different implementation uh issue um airbnb as far as uh, their plans to take over the world are certainly encouraging but I often wonder how much of their model they're adjusting for our context. And, uh, you know, and I'd say the same of an Uber. I'd say the same of, of a Facebook. Um, you know, my biggest criticism for Uber, as an example, was I think in an emerging market, um, they're, they're at their core not a people-centric business. So when you come to a market like this, we are people-centric consumers. Um, so you have to adjust things like labor relations in order to, work, to make your, your business model work. So uh, shared economy, I think, is a great notion and a great concept. What I always, you know, kind of push back on as far as, uh, you know, being too quick to sing the praises um, is how much localizing do you do within the business model that has been successful in the emerged markets so um, that's always kind of my hesitation but um, you know as I said those numbers for me are frighteningly high so Airbnb CEO co-founder speaking to some of what you're pointing out uh, Brian Chesky actually taking the time out to visit you know the townships while he was in Cape Town and and oh I went to go see the animals and the blacks <laughs> yeah where the blacks live <laughs> so yeah so he basically came to see the people <laughs> Sorry, but I'm not allowed to say that. <laughs> let's just let's just be honest. So he basically went where the blacks live in Cape Town, and and basically he's you know he's granting these interviews and he's I think give it, trying to give the you know project this image that look we we're for you we're part of this we're we're, we're proponents of the sharing economy everyone benefits um it's it's not a top down thing you certainly don't get that from Kalanick uh, over at Uber you get a much more dominating vibe like we're here to win and 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 it seems like you know brian chesky is not about that it's like listen as the bright as the pie grows for us you know it grows for everybody so in asia for three weeks and airbnb would have been really uh you know convenient for me to book and i'll tell you why um you know my wife and i chose to go with regular hotels is and it's it's probably a, a stupid fear you know black folk who's actually used airbnb uh, please tell me that more often than not, this is not true. But I kept feeling like I'm going to expose myself to how horribly prejudiced people can be towards black travelers. And I felt like everywhere I'd want to stay, no one would want me to stay there, you know. And so, yeah, there's that thing about Airbnb specifically. Um, I mean, they grew huge in Cape Town, uh, no doubt because Cape Town is the jewel of South Africa and as far as... is. As, as tourism is concerned and there seems to be an inherent classism to how well you know the average african can benefit from something like airbnb either through you know using the platform as a user looking for somewhere to stay or actually putting something on there to to, to rent out hmm. that's such a fascinating uh, thought i mean i'm sitting here scratching my head about uh, if I've ever had any considerations along that line. So I've used Airbnb a couple of times, a lot of the time in Cape Town, a lot of the, uh, in a number of African countries. And I'd never really considered it from the perspective that I'm booking a place that may put me outside of my comfort zone. And, and am I okay with that? Because from an experience perspective, I don't know whether that's the value proposition that, that they're selling. I think the value proposition from Airbnb is kind of this home away from home. So comfort is inherent in that. Um, so the concept of being out of your comfort zone or not feeling completely comfortable i think is outside of their value proposition but that is a potentially a different value proposition for someone who likes to travel and see the world and you know go to book themselves in a japanese uh, a home through a platform and acceptedly know that they may not necessarily have all the comforts of home but it'll be a new and different cultural experience um but i don't believe that that is what airbnb's value proposition is um, based on how i've experienced it um it's very much for me feels like a mcdonald's solution that you're going to try and pay for a certain standard of either comfort or luxury or uh, referenced uh, com uh, uh comfort or behavior um and anything that's a little bit strange or outside of that would be kind of betraying the brand promise i think i'm, I'm not sure i haven't thought about it that so from a comfort standpoint i'm thinking 
uh, that's what I'm scared of almost discovering or not discovering or being disappointed about. Like I'd expect, for example, not to be treated poorly or not to be refused uh, access to somebody's home because of I'm, I'm a certain color or, oh, heck, we, we, we loved you until we saw your picture, you know, that kind of thing. And there's that apprehension that I need to work through. And I don't know whether anybody listening to this podcast can relate to that and and whether it's even a factor to to growing in a place like Africa or indeed in another in, in parts of the developing world where, uh, let's be honest, the vast majority of the people using the service have to be not black. Because <laughs> there's so many dynamics to that question. I mean, in a market, especially like the Asian market, where it is difficult, especially when you're talking about homes, because you know, this is about renting or giving people shared space to people's homes. Um, I don't think they're the kind of people that are apologetic about their culture or apologetic about what they do. Um, so whether they're going to step outside of their own uh, comfort or culture to try and make that comfort for someone else is also you know interesting um and i don't know the answer to the question but that fundamentally could be you know an, an answer or an argument that says you will you know be either accepted or not accepted um other places in the world you know main cities london's of the world except i think less so but when you're in an extreme environment where people's homes and they're renting them out they're not going to apologize or try and make it any more comfortable for you i wonder i really do and so for that reason, I think platforms like Hotels.ng, not least because they're not in the home sort of share market necessarily, but also just because I think they speak more directly to what quote-unquote average African traveler might be looking for in a place to stay. I feel like they probably speak more organically to that. And I know Airbnb does offer us like hotel-type accommodation as well and that kind of thing, but I do sense that... Um, there's nuances to our markets and what we look for as Africans when we travel and where we want to stay and how comfortable we want to be, not just from a, you know, material sense, but also from a cultural sense or, and not that I'd be difficult to please necessarily, but I'd certainly be sensitive to someone clearly showing me they're uncomfortable having me around perhaps because I'm a, I'm a tall black man, for example, and, and, and they're not sure how to behave around me. That would affect my travel you know, experience differently. Yeah. Having said that, I mean, there are really, I mean, to validate your concerns, maybe there are, you know, platforms like Travel Noir and a number of kind of more uh, diverse uh, travel platforms and travel experiences, I think that are coming to the fore that are trying to bridge that gap between expectation and, and experience. Um, and I think for that very reason, I think there may be a play there that, that actually makes sense and that people may want to be want to have a degree of acceptance when they travel but they still want to have the experience you know the, the either extreme may not be comfortable but somewhere in the middle may make sense so yeah i think there's uh you know there's options but and i'm sure airbnb is thinking about it because i know they've launched like experiences as part of their 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 mix of of opportunities i think they they're selling more than just uh they've recent i think late last year they came to the market with uh this this notion that you can book experiences with them not just places to stay and i'm sure they take some of these things into account as well maybe you're just sensitive <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's it so finally, um, on a, it's, it's a pity to end on such a sad note, but I think it's more an, an informative note and more a, a heads up, really, to, to parents like you who are raising young guns and young guns and gals in, um, in, in troubling times, really, as far as, you know, what, you know, the, the kind of trouble the Internet can bring into a home. You know, who knew you could, you could bring in suicidal tendencies by, you know, you could introduce the idea of killing yourself to your child by buying them an iPhone. Well, it turns out you can. There's a, a, a game called the Blue Whale Suicide Game that's taken the UK and Russia particularly by, by storm. Um, and it's this crazy role-playing game that actually gets people to, to do horrible tasks. I think there's something like 50. Yeah, there is. A, it like takes you through different scenarios, essentially, as a, as, as a player of the game. It's developed by a guy called Philip Budakin. Um, now, essentially, this game uh, it leads you down different paths, but they all end up essentially at a point where you have to make a decision about killing yourself or not. Um, now, what is bizarre about this game is that the creator is a 21-year-old Russian, um, and he's actually confessed to the crimes, but the weird thing is that he's he's convinced himself and he believes that he's actually 
cleansing the community. He's cleansing the world. He's saying kind of there's a separation of people that should belong and, and that shouldn't. And certain human beings are biological waste, as he calls them, you know. And um, so he, he believes that this game it's, uh, is going to be a way that we can get rid of this biological waste by allowing them to take their own lives. So it's, it's quite bizarre and it's quite frightening. And I know at the moment there's, you know, a lot of uh, ISPs are trying to ban the game. There's been about, I think, 50 girls that have already um, lost their lives um, in, in Russia, Budapest, somewhere around there. Um, but uh, the major concern is if this game spreads further, um, uh, we never know. Um, people will be taken to the, to the streets and trying to essentially kill themselves by thinking that they're playing a game. So this, the reason we raise this is because this is likely to reach our shores at some point, Africa. And this is a shout out to all parents. You need to know what your kids are into. I know we don't want to go preachy on you, but this is a fact. Um, it's, uh, we, we can't pretend the, the world is safe. And unfortunately, um, it plays into many of the arguments people who want to take our freedom of the internet away from us would love to point at. I mean, these are examples of how, you know, freedoms can be taken, uh, uh, you know, advantage of. And we need to be on top of what our children are watching, uh, get, get whatever software you need to get, um, delay that first iPhone for as long as possible, um, and certainly you know, be a hands-on parent with regards to your, your, your child's digital health um, and the games they're playing and the, the trends they're trying to follow uh, and, and the friends they're trying to make, okay? Yeah, there's always a dark side to technology and uh, maybe that's that's topic for a show. I mean, it does, as you can hear, our voice and our energy has gone down because it's unfortunate, but um, we need to stay woke. Um, technology does have a dark side and that dark side is real. So as parents, um, as guardians, um, and, even, and even as young people, I mean, it's important that you're aware of these things. Um, I don't think this kind of thing will go away, um, I, but I do think that there's an important education job to be done. So yeah, uh, be vigilant. Be very vigilant. So yeah, that rounds it up. Many thanks, Mr. Kalinga. It's been a guest having you on the show. I look forward to doing this again. It's, it's been a much longer show than usual. We just had quite a few things to get through that we both thought were too important to leave out for us. <laughs> yeah, like everything. And we're glad we got to it all. Um, our show is not necessarily going to be an hour long each time we get together. Probably at least half of that. So in case this is your first show, don't worry about it. Uh, we typically only go through about maybe five or six major stories a week so um, keep it nice and bite-sized but uh, before we go one last time i'd like to thank the team behind the afrobytes tech conference 2017 for sponsoring this episode of the african tech roundup uh, now we truly can't wait to see you all in paris come june 8th and 9th um yeah it's going to be a blast so um get that information and register at afrobytes.com and so that's it man uh musa this uh, this is where i say something like so I'm Andy Lemasugo and my name is Musa Kalenga. <laughs> Thanks for listening <laughs> to Africa Tech Roundup. To take care Africa. <laughs>